Ladies and gentlemen, I have with me in the studio today a good personal friend of mine. We go back, ooh, back to the, what, 2000? So, uh, yeah, man. uh with me late, in the studio. Late 90s. Yeah. So, with me in the studio, I have one Miss Takia Richardson, who is a professional psychologist. Nope, social worker. Excuse me, a social worker. Licensed clinical social worker. Licensed clinical social worker, and we'll get into the, the distinction in that in a second, I guess. So I can not do that again. Okay. And um, also, all around awesome person, world traveler, singer in her spare time, and also poet slash aspirer to do pottery at some point. I don't know when she's going to actually and take up the black pottery. yogi. Black yogi? What is, why is it black yogi? What's black, what's black yogi? I'm a black person that does yoga. So I, so, so you're actually a yogi? So yogi just means somebody who does yoga. Yeah, oh, I thought it was like an official like title. <laughs> no. I like like I'm a yogi. So I thought I thought it's like they would like had like the ability to instruct people and no, like tell yet. people. Ah, oh, see, this is this Don't is this, this is how you learn stuff. Yes, just by having conversations, by all means, because. I'm going to need this myself in a second. The warmest of air in this room. I apologize, and again, it's really because of the fan. Adds a lot of unwanted acoustics to the microphone, uh, so we'll we'll try to keep this brief, and we'll come back for a part two, so we can go cool down and come back for a part two, and then you know we'll we should have a good baseline for how to proceed. Cool. Cool. Cool beans. Okay. Not in this room though, because the beans in this room would be hot. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> One of the many reasons why you're my friend. Okay, so Takia. I wanted to bring you in here because, quite honestly, I think I am blessed to have, in my short few my few trips around the sun, I've been blessed to have come in contact with a lot of very interesting, dynamic, diverse, and awesome people. You being one of them, and well, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And one of the things that um, I have a great deal of admiration for is those individuals who choose of all the things that they can do they choose to serve the public trust or the public good or the public well-being so people who are first responders nurses doctors police officers you name it social workers teachers anybody who's on the front lines and doing something for the greater good and they're doing so honorably I say that with the caveat of doing so honorably. <laughs> I have a great deal of respect and admiration for. So you're a social worker. Yes. And as coming from somebody who has done a little bit of teaching in my lifetime, professionally, not just somebody who's, oh, I'm a teacher. You know, I used to, <laughs> no, no, I literally got paid to teach. I like, remember that. Yes, yes, some many moons ago. People still ask me if I still teach. I'm like, dude, where have you been? No. <laughs> <laughs> but as somebody who taught high school for a couple years and to, to this day, honestly, it's still mixed a mixed bag for me because on one hand, it was 
not the most healthy environment to be in for the student and the teacher because there's just a lot of shenanigans going on. Mm -hmm. On the other end of the spectrum, it was still to this day, I think the most rewarding job I've ever gotten a paycheck for because I know that it was having an impact that would go beyond just, you know, collecting a check. So for yeah, me, you are, you're there, you're changing people's lives. Hopefully for the better. Collectively and individually. Yeah. Hopefully for the better. Hopefully, hopefully for the better. Yeah. Um, so with that being said, you're a social worker and coming from somebody who used to teach, I don't know how the heck you can do it. I admire that you do do it. And I'm glad that there are people willing to step up to the plate and do this work because it needs to get done. And there are a lot more people, I think, that need to step to the challenge if they feel that's their calling to do so. Mm-hmm. What what drew you to the profession of social work? What got you into it? Because, you know. So once upon a time, not long ago when I was in undergrad, I started out a nursing major. Oh, okay. And then a wonderful thing called organic chemistry happened to me the same semester as intro to psych happened to me. And I very quickly realized chemistry is some bullshit. Um, but this whole psychology and how the mind works, that's beautiful and interesting. And I wanted to know more about it. Okay. Um, my senior year in undergrad or somewhere thereabouts, I had to kind of figure out, okay, what's the next step? Because having an undergraduate degree in psychology is like having a degree in basket weaving. It serves no purpose. (laughs) You you, you have to go somewhere else with it. Right. Um, So it became the question of, do you want to go the psychologist route or do you want to go the social worker route? Okay. And um, I felt like at that time, like, okay, social work gives you the opportunity to help people in many different ways, in many different environments. I mean, we are everywhere. We're in schools, we're in medical hospitals, we're in psych hospitals, we're in the UN. We are, we are everywhere. VA. uh, Yeah. yeah. VA, all of that. Um, And I wasn't really interested in a lot of the research aspects that had to go into psychology. I just wanted to like get in there and go to grad school, finish and like be out there and help people, Mm -hmm. which is like, Saying it, it sounds like one of those bullshit answers you give in an interview that Mm -hmm. people are like, yeah, right. But I really did. Um, So I kind of popped my cherry the way most people do in child welfare, which is necessary, thankless, heartbreaking, rewarding work. I mean, it's, it's amazingly hopeful and hopeless at the same time. Wow. Um, And it's just like some of the things you see that people are doing to one of the most vulnerable populations is just mind boggling. And that will be children. Children. Yes. And that's what you that's what you started off with. I remember how how seeing because but here's the thing. I think that, and this is also one of the things, one of the reasons why Flash Black is becoming a movement and why I wanted to do Flash Black. I think the individual experience that we have in this lifetime living our lives, we tend to care about the things that directly impact us. So for example, for those who have never had cancer, 
a lot of people don't really, you know, cancer is not really a thing to them. If you're white and you have never experienced racism from the perspective that I have as a black person, it, it's it's kind of hard to grasp and fathom. Uh, an example is uh, Ronald Reagan's family was against, um, what were they against? They were against genetics and all that stuff in terms of, you know, trying to find ways through uh, the, the fetuses and, and the stem cells, stem cell mm-hmm. research. They were against stem cell research because uh, they were against it. And it's just like, you know, Republican right wing is just, we're not for that. And I'm not getting into like left wing versus right wing. It's just that their position was they were against it. And then watching their father go through Alzheimer's Mm -hmm. and seeing what it does. And here's the thing. I've seen Alzheimer's from uh, a stepmother of mine whose mother went through it. And seeing it firsthand, I didn't have to live it like my stepmother did. Mm -hmm. It's heartbreaking. And it's one of those things that's just like, I would never wish this on anybody, on mother, child, anybody. You know, for me to go into a nursing home with my then stepmother and my father and... Uh, my step grandmother, that's what she would be technically, for her to recognize me fully and not recognize her own daughter who she raised. It's just a, a trip into the other side of just like, wow. Right. So, like, you know, I think bring it back to what we were talking about, what you, what you were just saying with children, the most vulnerable population. You know, I think a lot of people look at childhood from their lens and how they grew up. So if you didn't come through any hardships that a lot of the kids that you dealt with went through, it's not really real to you. So seeing that and being connected to it, how did you manage and balance that? The balance was very hard Um, because with any job, most people, they want to work nine to five, go home. Leave their work there. Um, with child welfare, it's a little, it's a lot different mm-hmm. because okay, at five o'clock, one, you probably aren't done working. Mm-hmm. Two, by the time you are done working and you get home, you know, there's still this kind of, at least for me, there was always this kind of like anxiety of okay, is everybody okay? Did I do everything I could do today to protect these people? Things that. You know, people may take for granted, like you sit down and you watch the news. During that time, if I were to sit down and watch the news, it's like, okay, am I going to see somebody who I didn't get around to see today? Am I going to see them on the news? Is there going to be a an apartment fire and those are going to be my kids? Mm-hmm. Um, is somebody on my caseload going to end up dead? I mean, that's real life. That's what you're dealing with. You're not just dealing with oh, you know, it was neglect and they didn't buy him clothes or they didn't feed them. Like you're dealing with people who these children could be dead. And that's so heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, how, so how did you balance it though? Like, I don't, I don't know. Did you? I mean, like I they, they, there's a real answer that maybe you didn't. <laughs> like, like I, I had to, for me, I'll say this. When I first started teaching, it was not as extreme as what you were just saying, but it was the realization, because look, when I started teaching, I was fresh out of college, Mm -hmm. right? So I had been a student for my entire life, pretty much, at that point. And to go immediately from learning as a student to now I'm responsible for teaching kids who honestly weren't that much younger than me. Mm -hmm. I I had just turned 22 
when I took the job. I accepted the job on my birthday. So I turned 22 and accepted the job the same day. And I came in a couple weeks later and started teaching kids at age 22 who were 15 and 16 years old. So our age difference is not a big gap. Right. You know, and the realization hit me very quickly. Like, dude, like I'm responsible. Is it, this is just not like a job? Like my my direction, what I do, what I instill, what I bring to the table is going to have an impact on how they are prepared moving forward. So I have to be able to present something, and that was difficult for me. I didn't know how to turn that off for the first four or five months. No, I didn't. And there was there were so many cultural contexts um, at the time. I was pretty young. Um, I was twenty four. Mm-hmm. Um. I'm originally from North Carolina, mm-hmm. and I'm doing child welfare in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. telling people who are older than me how to raise their kids. Wow, yeah. Um, and I know nothing about raising kids, period. And I certainly know nothing about raising kids in this environment right. because I was not a child raised in this environment. Um. So you have all of those those things going on, and how did I balance? Um, I don't know that I did. I don't know that I ever actually like turned off. And it's weird because like when you were doing the intro, you're introducing me as this world traveler, which now I am because I have a better work life balance. But there was no work life balance. Oh, me neither. And it was just work, rinse, work. repeat. Yeah, work, yeah. Rinse, yeah. repeat. And and that for me, and I think I think because we were both young when, when we're talking about this. This is a period where we're just kind of really getting our bearings. So we took kind of heavy jobs yeah. to come out the gate with. Like you know, if you if you're gonna come out of college and go into and you coming out of grad school, so you did like you know extra couple years. So coming out of college and or grad school, whatever way that both college, you get it. Uh, into those professions is not necessarily something to be taken lightly. And we can look back at it now and smile, but I, I really had a difficult time turning it off. And I'll say um, there was an instance where a teacher called me during the week on my personal phone number while I was at home. And she called me, her, her students, excuse me, my student's name was, Kenneth Humphreys, and his mother called me, and it's probably like 6.30 in the evening, and she's just talking to me, and she's just venting because she loves her son, and she knows her son is capable and intelligent, and he's just not applying himself, and I listened to this woman, I talked with this woman for, for two hours, not really thinking about this is a violation, mm-hmm. <laughs> like this is my saint, like I'm off, like, like, like this, no, like calling me on my personal number while I'm at home and I'm listening to this for two hours. And it's just like, the reason why I did is because I care. One, I cared about what she was saying. Mm -hmm. I cared about my student. And the irony of all ironies was I was that kid. I was never the stellar student in school when I was coming up, not because I wasn't capable. I did not apply myself. And my mother used to be on the other end telling people like, He's smart. He just doesn't apply himself. Anything he applies himself to, he's very good. Da 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 da. And it's and a lot of times the, the teachers are saying the same thing. I can see it in him, but he's just not. You know, and it's just and one and it, it felt like a line to me. It but, just felt like something that was being said. 
So, like, for me, that was, like, you know, it was difficult to turn off. And I had to learn how to basically just, like, when this time comes, I have to shut it off. And also, when you really care about the people that you're working with, like, how do you disconnect from humanity? Yeah. That's basically what they're asking you. Like, I am, you know, they're reaching out to you. And you may very well be the only person, right? That they can talk to you and and get, like, a decent answer. And you might not know that until years down the line, if ever at all. Right. Um, so I have I have a family who was on my case. So then, but this is such an ethical violation. I well, don't do NASW. it. Don't do it. Don't <laughs> do it. They would don't not, say any names. Though. No, no, no. Okay. But they would not when they were removed from my caseload. They would not disconnect mm-hmm. because you're talking about like with this family. We every weekend, every single weekend on Saturdays, I had to pick these children up, and it was five of them mm-hmm. coming from various parts of the city. So that they could visit with each other and they could visit with their mother. And when, you know, I was that presence. Mm-hmm. And when someone who made more money than me said, okay, this can't be your social worker anymore. They were like, yeah, that's cute for you. Um, that's <laughs> fine. But you're still our social worker. So anytime they came to the building, they came to see me and they wanted to call me. And, you know, they wanted me to come to graduations and they wanted me to come to baby showers and child birthday parties and we're talking about a family i started working with when the youngest was five and she's now in college and you're still connected and they will not cut that cord for anything but no there's a beauty in that though yeah it is because like you you could you could have very well found an out by now but obviously you care enough and it means enough yeah. You know, and that's obviously not everything because you can only do but so much. But that, that's beautiful. I mean, and again, it's just like, but here's the thing that there's still that mystery balance. And again, I guess coming out of school, the point I was trying to make and did a poor job, I prob- probably, uh, when you're young, it's harder to find that balance. Mm-hmm. You know, like for me, uh, I, I think I was on the opposite end, I suspect for you. Like a lot of times when you're first coming out of school, you're very serious. I was very serious. You were very serious. Let's go change the world. Yeah. And it's no just one like, has ever had the thoughts that I've got about changing the world. Yeah. I'm going to set this shit on fire. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's just like, like not knowing how to really take a break and just have time for you. You know what I mean? It's like I, I really was at a point like I was stressed out five weeks into teaching and I had to have a, I had to have a serious talk with myself a couple of times. But the first time it's about five weeks in like, yo, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta chill. You know what I'm saying? Like I had a, a student that came to me. This is hilarious. They had been messing with my money. So this is a story I don't think I've ever told anybody, but they had been messing with my money because they hadn't paid me a full check. So I'm five weeks in and hadn't gotten a full check yet. So because I had just moved into an apartment I'm commuting to work. I'm doing lunch and all the things that you would do, you know, paying bills, but I don't have any money really coming in or whatever. So like my, my hair wasn't cut at like it was when I first got through the door and I was pressing my clothes to the cleaners. I was, I was doing all that. So I was, I was crisp when I first got there mm-hmm. and I was trying to carry it much like my father would. My father's a very cleanly dressed man when he puts on his like his work attire or his business attire. He's one of the sharpest dudes I've ever seen in my life, right? So I'm trying to go along that way right there, although that's not technically how I get down. I can when I need to. 
And I had like, you know, my appearance wasn't what it had been. I still look professional, but I had a student named Trayon White. And I'm saying his name because Trayon White is now doing his thing. Trayon White is now on the DC council. And, and it, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he was always a smart kid, always, you, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, but I remember like he, the class had emptied out. He was the last one in there. And he was like, he just lingered near the door for a second, he looked at me, shook his head, like, damn, Mr. Bennett, you used to be clean. <laughs> <laughs> yo it just walked out like it's just like disgust and like for me it's just like wow like i didn't know like like you know the things that they pay attention to mm-hmm. you never know what they what they're checking you for you know what i'm saying so for that it was like wow and it's just like that well like to me i took it the opposite way like okay if that's the way you're gonna view me or whatever then i'm not really gonna focus on that some people get them like they're all oh, gonna get on my game and go crazy with it, I'm with the opposite way. I'm like, dude, this this is not what I'm I'm not here for a fashion show, as my mother used to tell me when mm-hmm. I was trying to like, you know, look fly and like the rest of my peers. She wasn't into all that. So I was getting on fashions late, if at all. So I just like I just kept it, okay, I'm slacks and tie, not doing you know, I'll iron my shirts. But <laughs> you know, I'm not doing anything fancy moving forward, like cause this is not what it's about. I'm trying to make sure you guys are prepared up here in the head and you know, the the other stuff. That'll come, but they're not paying me like that to be super fly. So I'm gonna be professional, but I'm not going all out of, out of pocket for all that. So all that to say, balancing is but just the, the interesting thing about it. Though is when think about when you were in school. You know, people told you when to take breaks. You took breaks over fall and Christmas and spring break and summer. Mm-hmm. And when you are a Young adult just entering the workforce, um, realistically, you don't have a lot of leave. And you don't have a and break. you don't have a lot of money. Or, <laughs> and they don't give you breaks either. Right. It's like, yeah, so you, yeah. Right. So, you know, kind of trying to finagle that work-life balance is exponentially more difficult. Yeah. Especially for somebody like myself, I was never a social monster i was never i like like social for me was going to poetry spots and hanging out with friends i i never was that dude that used to go to happy hours and clubs and stuff like that that's not just my personality i'm just not comfortable in those settings so so once i um kind of transitioned out of child welfare into mental health which was my passion right so but how 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 long were you doing the, the 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 child welfare Five years. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, hey, I mean, but here's the thing: you didn't stay in longer than you needed to, because some people stay in and they burn out and they're not effective. Right. So, so I did get out before I get out. I say get out like I was in prison. Um, <laughs> I did transition yeah. to a different job before I was burnt out and ineffective and just you know like essentially gave no fucks about anything. Right. Because that's that's worse than just leaving. Right. Um. So. Once I transitioned into mental health, interestingly enough, my work-life balance became more important. Okay. So, I, I'm going to ask a question. And I'm going to ask this question just because I've heard people say this, but a lot of times these people have no direct psychological background or anything like that. And I don't know if it's conjecture or something they heard in conversation and passing. So... Was there something besides being in school and having that psychology class juxtaposed, 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 juxtaposed with that that chemistry class that you know 
was it something else that that triggered like uh, you know I, I I hear that sometimes people who get in the psychological field had some sort of they trauma know. themselves or you know, it, it was that I mean not to put you on blast or anything but was there something like you know, that made you want to perhaps about yourself made you want to get into this field so perhaps you could make sense of things to some degree um, kinda. Um, behavioral health, not necessarily um, the mental health. So when you talk about behavioral health, you're talking about mental health and substance abuse. Okay. And I had someone who was in my family who struggled with substance abuse issues, like a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And um, so that part was always very interesting to me. And when I was in undergrad, I did some work at a substance abuse clinic and kind of wanted to continue that in some way. Mm-hmm. Um but the mental health aspect of it, the pervasive mental illness, um, schizophrenia and bipolar disorder and depression and all of those things um, actually ended up taking center stage more so than the, the substance abuse, which is still interesting to me, but not as interesting. Okay. So I, I want to clarify a couple things. Uh, you corrected me earlier, you said clinical social worker. Yes. What is by by just rough definition? What is a clinical social worker? What is I mean? I'm pretty sure that's a, a large, overarching classification, so to speak. But from your specific position, like what is clinical social worker? Um, how can I how can I break this down without sounding too? Okay, so social work, MSW, Masters of Social Work graduate okay you have your msw you have to sit for your licensing exam if you want to get a job um your first license is licensed graduate social worker at least in this area um it goes by different names in in different places but basically like you can work but you can't really do anything else so you can't supervise anybody you can't see people by yourself mm-hmm. um if you want to do clinical work if you want to do therapy if you want to run a private practice um then you have to become a licensed clinical social worker. Mm-hmm. That's a different exam, and you have to have so many hours of supervision, and then you can work independently, and you can bring in those big social work dollars <laughs> that we all are, you know, just out here waiting for. Um, so that's that's kind of like the difference. Okay. And not every not every social worker wants to be clinical. I have a very good friend who is a social worker, but. She does not do any direct practice. So just because you're a social worker doesn't necessarily mean you have to do direct practice. She's like the executive director of an agency. So when I start out saying we're everywhere, we are. Everywhere. Everywhere. So let me let me just backtrack just a little bit because the question I did want to ask and I did not ask. Uh, so pardon me for that. Why you're doing this social work dealing with children, vulnerable children? Mm-hmm. Did you feel while you worked, because you worked for DC government at mm-hmm. the time? Yes. Did you feel that you had the necessary infrastructure and support coming from the District of Columbia so that you could perform the job that you were tasked to do to the best of your abilities? At the time, I thought I did. But the interesting thing about it is if you are brand new, you're brand new out of school, you're brand new to this job. So, if you don't have what you need, you don't know that you don't have what you need. And by the time you realize it, you're probably somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, to 
child child welfare is its own beast. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were some some things that probably could have made it easier. I don't know if you remember or how you could forget the Benita Jacks case. Or you're looking at me like you did forget. Oh, no, 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 so. no, no. That's, that's not ringing a bell. Like, uh, you might have to re- remind me. Okay, so Benita Jacks was this single mother of, I think she had six children. Mm-hmm. And a, um, a social worker, a school social worker uh, with an MPD officer went to the house and found that she was living in this house and had murdered all of her children mm. who were still in the house. So at that time, um, God, come and I, that's when I learned that the comments section is a horrible place. Never go to the comments section. But the Washington Post had articles on it in the comments section. They were just like, oh, my God, social workers are so horrible. They're so sorry. These CFSA social workers are just lazy. And there are all these thoughts that, you know, there are all these Monday morning quarterbacks who don't know anything. Right. They're just like, oh, if you just call the police and go out there with them, you know, they, they'll go out there with you. And that was one of the things that I always, in, in certain circumstances, that was one of the things I felt like I needed. Because realistically, when you think about child welfare and social work, the shit is dangerous. You know, you are armed with a government badge and you're knocking on the door of people who don't really want to be bothered with you. Telling them how to raise their kids. And you're going into sometimes the hood proper. Yeah, I spend a lot of time <laughs> in you like could. Georgetown or the Gold Coast. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. You could definitely wind up in like, yo, this is like hood right here. Like, yeah, I remember it could go one, down. One, once I was going to do a home visit and like, I don't know where, but I just started hearing gunshots as I'm driving. So I'm trying to figure out like, okay, how do I save myself, not get shot, not crash this car? Um yeah, shit is real. And you are going to talk to people who don't really want to hear what you have to say. And the thought that people have when they hear child child and family services agency social worker is, oh, this bitch is coming to take my kids. And that's not necessarily always the case. But when you go in, that's the first thought people have. You're coming to take my kids. So you already are dealing with someone who is more defensive. Mm-hmm. I have been like threatened. I have been chased with a baseball bat before. I have, you know, had to run and chase kids down the street. I've had to chase kids with a car. I I mean, it's all kinds of just, just craziness. Mm -hmm. And people are just like, oh, we'll call MPD. And I've done that before. And I've sat outside of places for hours waiting for MPD to show up and they don't. Mm -hmm. I've gone into a precinct and had people, MPD officers, laugh at me and say, like, yeah, okay, you wait. Somebody will come help you. So, I mean, it just would have been a lot easier in some in some circumstances because some circumstances are just really not safe mm-hmm. to know that, like, okay, at least MPD is kind of on my side. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they're the police. So, um, <laughs> um, so that would have been a little more helpful and you know people are always like oh well you can pair up so okay me and another young 24 year old we're gonna go out and do what shit she's probably just as afraid as i am mm-hmm. so is it you're saying she i'm guessing and i don't know so i'll ask instead do you feel or from your experience we'll say it that way was it more women in this position than men overwhelmingly uh, that does not surprise me. It's kind of like nursing, which, you know, there are male nurses, but mm-hmm. most of them are women. Mm-hmm. 
Wow. Yeah. It's, I know what didn't think about the the aspect of perhaps going in because I, I imagine there were times you were in some unsavory places after dark. Yes. So like, yeah, that's not something you think about. So glad you're still with us, buddy. <laughs> I'm glad I'm still with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There were sometimes I was like, okay, like I've gone to places. And again, remember, these are places that are new to me. Mm -hmm. So I don't necessarily know that, hey, maybe this isn't a really unsavory neighborhood. It's really, really unsafe to be in. It's just like, I don't know. This is just the address. And there have been times when I've pulled up to places. I remember the first time I had to go to Butler Gardens, like I pulled up and I was like, Okay, so I'm gonna turn the car around and um, I'm gonna have to like come back tomorrow and just have a, a pep talk with myself overnight because it was just like one of those. What are you familiar about, Bill Gardens? No, I'm not. Uh, so it's um over. I get, it was then. There's so much gentrification going on. I don't know what's there now, but bang message. <laughs> it's over off um, Morris Road. Okay, and it's like down this one way in, one way out kind of situation okay and there was like just this whole just group of people looking at me rolling up in this marked government car with my government license plate and i was like okay let me just turn around and just kind of get my game make sure my game face is on i'll come back out here not right now mm -hmm. so there was that there's times when um gosh uh what is the name of the place potomac gardens i think sounds like someone on a monopoly board Right, but not <laughs> as pricey, yeah. yeah. Um, and I rolled up there, and it's just like, why, why is this fence here? Is it like to keep people in? You know, or keep, people, keep out. people out. I yeah. think it's to keep the people in, and you know, people yeah. getting shot right in front of you, or yeah, all kinds of great, great situations. Yeah, so, sounds sounds like a whole nother Come interview. On. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so fast forward, and you 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 spent five years in social work. Uh, Fast forward, I'm licensed mm -hmm. clinically. I can get out here and practice and do some therapy and yeah. Okay. Realized uh, I don't like therapy a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's draining. <laughs> okay, so let me let me let me ask you this because when this is actually one of the reasons why one of the key reasons outside of the the ones that I elaborated on before, I have this. This feeling that in the black community in particular, we are not fond of seeking psychological help and evaluation outside help. We have this this mentality that we're just going to soldier through it. And I think that's partly because that's what we've been ingrained to do. We just mm -hmm. deal with it. What is your take on it being somebody who is licensed in the field of psychology? Who has a better social understanding? Work. Social work. I apologize, apologize, but you still have a psychological background. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. I see. I'm not saying you know. I'm not saying it like I'm trying to make you something that you're not. But you know, how how? What is your take on that? Basically, like, do you feel that that is the case? Do you do do? Are you opposed to personally receiving or going to if if you felt you need to? Oh God, no! I've okay. been through therapy. Therapy is great. Yeah. Um, one of the things they tell you when you embark upon this career is like you should go through therapy. One, so you can work out all of your things 
and not have to work out those things when you should be helping someone else. So yeah. if you're coming to see me, I shouldn't be doing my therapy on myself with you. Right. So you don't want to uh, project. I guess that's the term. You don't want to project your personal issues on right. somebody. You don't want to try to have a God complex where you're trying to save somebody. You know, I've hijacked your whole session to talk about myself. <laughs> Like you come in and you're stressed out and I'm like, I know, me too. Let me tell you that same thing. You're you're not paying me for that. Right. Um, so that's one of the reasons they tell you to go through therapy. The other thing is if you've never done it, you've never been through it, you don't know what it looks like. So they recommend you go through therapy, you know, so you can get an idea of what's good and what's bad. And I've had both. I've had good therapists and I've had bad therapists and Oh, what's a bad therapist? <sighs> so I had this traumatic loss in my life mm -hmm. and i went to see a therapist and you know i was talking to her about it she's like you know okay what brings you in today and i told her she's like oh my god that is so horrible and she like starts sobbing so i'm like immediately taken out of my own grief and She's trying to console her I'm, yeah i'm consoling her and <laughs> that's I'm like, crazy this is not that's not how <laughs> it's supposed, supposed to, to happen it's not how this city works this is not how any of this that's works yeah. Um, and I'm telling her like, oh, it's not that bad. But I'm thinking to myself like, but it, it's kind of bad. That's why you're talking to somebody. And so when um, the absolute longest hour of my entire life finally ended, I was like, okay, I'm never going back to that chick ever. That was that was horrible. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I, I think... One of the things that we as a people perhaps need to start considering, given the conditions that have been uh, brought to light, is not stuff that hasn't been happening. We, we know that um, violence ag against black people hasn't happened in many forms, and it's not always physical violence. A lot of times it is psychological, mm -hmm. uh, but a lot of this has been brought to the fore over the past couple of months with the, the deaths of Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, you know, we have just a running tab. Honestly, out of the long list of people that we can we can name like 15 people, probably offhand between Trayvon Martin and Mike Brown, and, you know, the list goes on. For some reason, Sandra Bland's, to me, is still one of the most, if not the most egregious, along with, I would say, Trayvon White. Just Tray Trayvon Martin, sorry. Yeah, I uh, I remember sitting in my car when I heard the, the verdict that, you know, you, you kind of already knew <laughs> just because it's like you've, you've kind of been conditioned not to find... Which is sad in justice. itself. It is. Right. But I remember just like I was in my car driving and I just like started crying and like sobbing because I was just like... It, none of it matters. And even if you think back years and years ago to um, James Byrd. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. So these things that are happening are not new. No, it's not at all. That, you know, technology is catching up to the point where we can see more often when it happens. Right. I'm sure there are still lots of times when things happen that they're not captured. Mm -hmm. But none oh, of yeah. this is new. So yeah. when you think about some of the, the things that we have been told as as black people and Sometimes even specifically as black women. Like, and how dismissive it's been, too. It's just like, yeah. yeah, this is not really happening. Like, no, but it is. It is. It is. And then when you have like something like Tray Tray Trayvon Martin, it's just like, you know, it's just, dude, it's like he was walking home. 
in the rain and a grown man got out of a vehicle and started chasing him. And in nature, there are two responses, fight or flight. Yes. He chose to run. So he's pursued and he got to a point where he chose to defend himself. So he stood his ground according to Florida law, which is what he was allowed to do. Unfortunately, he stood his ground against somebody who had a gun and knew he had a gun when he gave chase. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the sad thing for me was not just the loss of his life, but how poorly that case was prosecuted. It was, it was, it was terrible. And I think perhaps the parents might have gone with them because they were black lawyers. I don't know. And maybe they're like, oh, they would. I don't know. But I just watched a couple. I couldn't watch the whole thing on CNN or C-SPAN. I think it was on C-SPAN. Uh, it was, it was like they they allowed a dead seventeen year. He had just turned seventeen, maybe a couple of weeks prior. So they allowed a a dead child who had done nothing wrong to be put on trial. Mm-hmm. When the, the person, yeah, the victim was when on trial. Was yeah, yeah. So I I think what my point what I was getting around to because a lot of times I start up with a point and go somewhere else completely. Um, I think. We as black people need to start considering that as a collective, we are suffering from PTSD. Yeah. Um, and there was an article that I'm trying to remember. It's the, the School of Social Work, I think, associated with NYU. And they, they did this article called The Trauma of Racism. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you when you think back to how long black people have been suffering from these sort of acts, I mean, you compound that with just slavery, then Mm -hmm. of course there's, you know, some sort of post-traumatic stress associated with that. And it's just, you know, sometimes we've been told, you know, we live through slavery. You can live through this and strong black woman, you know, you're not supposed to, you're supposed to be strong. You could do this and you shoulder on and you carry on and you, you carry this albatross on you because, you know, it's weak to get therapy and it's weak to talk to people. Take it to Jesus. That's another one that they yeah. always like to. Yeah, and like to who does the who does the who 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 pastors the pastor? Right. Like who like cause like we we seen these days there are a lot of pastors coming out with a lot of ish. There's a lot of stuff coming out of these quote unquote black churches. And I'm not taking shots at black churches because I think it goes across That's the board. Some facts. Yeah, yeah. It goes across the board. And we're like, hey, we want to talk about the other end of the spectrum. You know, the Christianity let like, you know, white Southerners tell it, you know, was completely for slavery <laughs> and all the atrocities that went along with it. Not just that, the gen- genocide and gentrification of the natives that were in every continent where Christianity was implemented. It's all, it's all acceptable as long as it benefits you. Right, right. right. But when you think about... Like some of the the symptoms associated with PTSD, like hypervigilance, mm-hmm. um, trouble sleeping. Like, have you ever irritability? Yeah. <laughs> if you're just driving down the street and a police officer is behind you, oh, tense up. Yeah, tense up. Yeah. And you're if you're driving, you're I can, very I can, aware. I can, I can make a diamond out of coal real quick. Yeah, you're very I aware so of tight. everything. The yeah. speed you're going, what the speed limit is. If you're following the car in front of you too closely, or am I driving too fast? Am I driving too slow? Are my hands at ten to two? You know, you you're just very just nervous, and it's right. just you know this police officer may turn off he or she um, may go around you, but just the sight you may not. Oh, when the sirens go on, it's like oh. 
Yeah, like your, your heart goes just a little bit. And here's the bad part about it, because we're agreeing. We're not. This was not something that was, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this that was coordinated. This is just uh, just experiences of just being black, and uh, that feeling of relief when they go past you. Yep. Is is like you literally feel like you dodged something and you had done nothing wrong. You're literally just driving to work or driving home or driving to wherever you were going. Look, I haven't ever been inside of a police station except to file a report because <laughs> somebody broke into my vehicle that's the only time i've ever been inside a police station i think was to, to file a, a complaint or report that's it for me i've never been processed none of that so for somebody who's been on the quote-unquote right side of the law my entire life the amount of relief i feel when a police officer passes me is it's 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 it's, it's crazy it's indescribable yeah because the whole time that officer is behind you, I mean, even though, like you said, you've never, you've never been inside a police station if you didn't take yourself there right. for own for good purposes, right? You could still end up dead. Yeah, and yeah. that's heavy. I think when we were, you and I were talking, maybe it was about the Sandra Bland case. I don't know. We've had several discussions about just people dying yeah from living while black and yeah. i think the thing i said at that time was like even if you're unarmed you're armed with melanin and that's the biggest weapon <sighs> yeah i mean here's the thing the sandra bland i, I don't know it's, it's weird a couple weeks ago like i had a dream like her smile was just in my dream it just felt like she was she was like not that the rest of them were i feel like she was stolen from us dude it's just like it's the 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 sequence of events it wasn't even like like something like a Mike Brown which is unfortunate like what are you doing in the street and that somehow leads to him supposedly charging I don't know I don't agree with the facts but I will say this off the basis of what are you doing in the street to somebody winding up dead in the street and for, for, four the street hours, for four hours yeah that right? that's just there needs to be something else done for Tamir Rice. Who's you know in an open carry state playing with a, a play gun on the playground, um, and the police officer rolls up, and then literally less than five seconds, you can do the count. I that's the one of the videos I did not watch. I couldn't bring myself to watch a child get executed. I couldn't do it. I couldn't yeah, do and it. it. It's it's hard. I did not watch the Tamir Rice yeah, yeah, video. But- I um, inadvertently watched Alton Sterling. Um, you know, I saw it from of, both angles. You know, because of the uh, autoplay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I didn't watch Philando Castillo. I saw it from both. Yeah, I saw the Philando Castillo, and like, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm amazed, but at the same time, I understand her calm. Um, Diamond, I can't remember her last name. His, his fiance mm-hmm. is calm. She had to be calm because although her fiance was dying next to her, she had a child mm-hmm. in the back seat, and she had to be calm. She had, there was something, there was a calm that that was outside of her that was given to her because that officer was more freaked out and irrational than anybody inside that car. That child had more composure than that officer who was pointing a gun who had just shot a man four times. 
Even um, the guy in in Miami, the the behavioral health worker who was with the teenager oh, with autism, and the dude had his hands up on the on the floor and the talking about like they. Oh yeah, that that's. Why did you shoot me? I don't know. I don't know. Wasn't even aiming for him. Was actually aiming. I don't even know if that's true. The teenager. I I don't know if that's true. Regardless of yeah, who yeah, he was aiming yeah, yeah, at, yeah, yeah. you know there was like, no threat. There, there was no threat, but you like it's just like we're gonna get one off anyway. Why yeah. not? But but here's the thing. Again, all of these. To a certain de- degree, can be looked at. These are confrontations or you know standoffs that are happening in the moment, yeah. And you can argue from both sides. I- I'm not going to agree with it in most cases, and the ones that we've stated at least, that I'm not going to agree with you. But we can say, okay, this is in the moment. So these things happen in the moment, right? With Sandra Bland, she was supposedly speeding. She's pulled over. She's pulled out of her car for speeding. Mm-hmm. And then she's assaulted for speeding. Mm-hmm. She's arrested for speeding. Now, here's the thing. One thing I did not know, when you get a speeding ticket, technically you're under arrest. I did not know that. So when you get a ticket, that ticket is basically your signing saying that you will appear before a judge to basically plead your case. So that's why if you do not show up, they'll issue a bench warrant for you. So you're technically under arrest when you get a ticket. So, But, you know, if she's... Basically speeding, you give her a ticket and you send her on away. So she's arrested, you know, for for speeding. And then in the course of her being arrested processed, she somehow gets synthetic marijuana and hangs herself with a plastic bag in her cell. Now, this is somebody who had just moved to another state. Who was starting a new job? Who's starting a new job? You don't. She has some very goal directed behavior. Yeah, yeah. You don't. You don't commit suicide if you're going to take the time and energy to move to a different state and start a job with her alma mater. So this is like this is like a personal connection for her. So the logic of like when like things got so bad so fast that she got arrested and she's going to all of a sudden somehow take synthetic marijuana because don't they process you and check you for everything before they put you in a cell? They don't just throw you in a cell. They process you. They have to check and make sure you don't have any dangerous objects, I would imagine. So if you if you look at the narrative of Sandra Bland and Philando Castile, one of the things that I remember um, possibly reading in the comment section, which, you know, is where... We could go down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, well, she was too mouthy and she shouldn't have been talking back to the police officer. And then you fast forward a year to Philando Castile, who did everything right i'm carrying a weapon i'm did what he was told I'm to license to carry a weapon and if you're licensed to carry a weapon guess what uh you've done what you're supposed to do because they, they check you to make right. sure you can carry a, a weapon get your license i'm reaching into my pocket to get my license and you know they both end up dead yeah so, you know, the narrative now cannot be like, oh, he was too mouthy. What What is the narrative now? He was too compliant? Is there a thing? Yeah. Well, and then on top of that, apparently that officer uh, had pulled him over before. He, he had interaction with that officer at some time prior. But from, I think, 2002 to to now, to, to this year, Alton Sterling had been pulled over more than 70 times. Mm-hmm. And 47 of those had been thrown out. So, like, this is like a pattern. This dude was harassed. Mm-hmm. You know, but, you know, he obviously had a license to carry, he had a job where he's working in the school, he's gainfully employed. And they could find nothing negative on him, not for lack of trying. And then the crazy thing is the NRA, who is 
loves to you know jump out there don't take our guns yeah yeah they've said nothing and and this and the reason why they've said that i'm just gonna go ahead and say it they haven't said anything because the second amendment ain't for black folks no it's not the second amendment was more of a holdover because what was happening was there were a lot of people who were revolting a lot of enslaved not slaves those who were enslaved were revolting they were getting masses gun and they were taking care of masses. So like being able to have your own gun, that's where a lot of these folks from the South are so you know, hung up on making sure they have their, their Second Amendment rights, which, okay, you want to have your guns, that's fine. But like, let's make sure it's fair both ways. If we're an American citizen, it doesn't matter the color of your skin. So in a nutshell... Um, the PTSD thing. I think that's something we as as um, people of color really need to start looking into. I and mean, we need to start looking into seeking help and evaluation. Because here's the thing. When you're living on edge constantly, like, you know, like they're kids who are 10 years old, who quite honestly, in my estimation, like you can't live in certain areas of Chicago right now, even if you're six, seven, eight years, nine years old, you know what death is. You've seen it. You know, and you can't live in that environment where it's literally like a war zone and 50 people can get gunned down to the day. The news doesn't talk about it, but you know what's going on because you're down there, you're living it. You can't not have PTSD. And I think PTSD is often looked at as something that only people who go off to war experience. No. Are we not at war here? Well, it's not PTSD. Hey, PTSD could just be like, you know, it's a post-traumatic stress. Right. But Who knows you, what that stress is? I mean, one could make the argument that there is a war on black people. Uh, oh, yeah. But you also, could, the, the, yeah. the other thing about <laughs> obtaining mental health um, treatment is, I mean, there's a couple of things. One is insurance. Mm -hmm. um, are you insured? Are you? Is this covered under your insurance? Are enough... Visits covered under your insurance. How has that, that changed since the Affordable Health Care Act has been put into place? I don't know what Obamacare covers under insurance. We can edit that out. Okay. But I'm not quite sure. Well, it's an honest answer. Yeah. Um, I so mean, here's the thing. thing. It's not your job. You're not, you're not the person who does the billing in the first place. So Thank I just, God. Yeah. I, I'm, that's, I mean, that's fine. Um, you don't have to know. But you might need, you know, you might need 50 sessions and 13 are covered on your insurance. All right. Um, so there's that. And the other thing is, you know, it's very helpful when you're trying to address issues like that, like, you know, traumatic racism, that you have people who look like you, who understand what you're going through. Just like when we were talking about earlier about, you know, if I'm white, I don't have an understanding of what racism really is like from a first person perspective. Unless you unless you happen to be there like if you have a legitimate black friend and you have to be with that black friend and see that black friend get like accosted for no other reason apparently than he is black and it's like it's made it's crystal true, clear the, the experience is still different it's not not your experience but here's the thing your eyes can be open to it to a certain extent i'm not saying here you you have to you have to be able to walk in the skin and the shoes of the you know mm -hmm. and so there's certain to a certain degree you're not going to be able to feel it, but you, it's not that you can't understand it to a certain degree or empathize. Right. I think the ability to empathize for a lot of people who are honestly, quite honestly, a lot of them are well-intentioned. But here's the thing. The, the, often the biggest disconnect and the biggest thing that we draw upon as a collective body, our most recent traumatic history or one of our most recent traumatic histories is slavery. 
The reason why it's slavery is because, quite honestly, a lot of our history was stolen from us when we were brought here against our will or when we were grown here or, you know, basically, you know, we were breeded here. We were bred here. Breeded. Right. We were bred here. You know, so, you know, that is our collective history, slavery. So there is that. And a lot of times what people want to automatically dismiss and say, oh, well, slavery ended 150 years ago. Like, yeah, that's great. Slavery did end 150 years ago. But no, it didn't end. That sentiment. You can't say that something happened 300 years prior to slavery ending. All of a sudden, the sentiment is going to die with it. Right. You know, there are people who've been raised for generations with the thought and the belief that black people were intellectually inferior, that they needed to be cared for by white people and lorded over by white people because they couldn't do so for themselves. There was a science that was a faux science, obviously, but there was a science used to prop that up, and then God was used to prop all that up. There's an entire mentality for that. And that doesn't just go away just because slavery went away. So you take that, and you say, okay, we had a brief area of Reconstruction. So in like the 1870s, Reconstruction died out because, you know what, there's too many black people doing you know, things or whatever. And they started putting, you know, black people who had been freed and all that good stuff against the poor South, poor white Southerner, uh, poor Northern, you know, whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, because again, it wasn't meant for them either. They don't understand. And that's why the divide is happening right now with Trump. There are a lot of people who are middle-class, lower middle-class, upper, lower middle-class, all that good stuff. You know, it's, there, there's a certain aspect of the American dream that is not intended for you, and it's not in, sure not intended for people like me. We were supposed to ensure that <laughs> right. with our work, you know, but it was not intended for us. It's intended for the the exceptional few who had the land and the wealth. That's what it was intended for. So, you know, there's this whole rise of the Ku Klux Klan and all these other hate groups and paddy paddy rollers and all that good stuff. And, you know, Jim Crow came in a couple of decades after, you know, Jim Crow was very real because Jim Crow, my parents remember, Yeah. you know, so Jim Crow was born out of slavery and slavery, the sentiment of like, you know, keep them in their place. And let's not forget, even after slavery ended, there's that little gem that, you know, the vagrancy laws that they started putting on the books almost immediately after like if you didn't have a home, then they could be arrested. They being the ins- the formerly enslaved could be arrested, and they were just put into another form of slavery. So slavery didn't end when you think it did. And if you look at the the preschool to prison pipeline, has it really ended? No, no. no. And it's, it's like just, it's just taking a different name. It's taking a different form. Yeah, the, and, the outcome is still the same. And here's the thing. Let me say this because you know a, a lot of times when like you know. People who might be so entrenched on hearing their side of things because they don't want to have any involvement or any guilt about their ability to not be associated with this and their privilege, to be honest. Um, There are a lot of things that we need to do as a community for self-repair. We need to treat each other better. We need to speak to each other better. You know, we need to we need to start demanding better education as a as a collective for our children. There are a lot of things that we need to do and that's part of what Flash Black is going to be aiming to do. And I'll be rolling some things out, uh, some things that I plan on personally doing and some things I'm going to encourage other people to do because everything can't be, I can't do everything, neither can you, but if we can motivate people to do the things that they feel that they have a calling to do, they're capable to do, then let's do that, right? But there's a lot of things we need to do. But dude, let's, let's, 
let's stop pretending like, you know, like everybody wants to throw out these statistics and then everything everything wants to be black on black crime is the ultimate defense. What about black on black crime? But black on black crime in and of itself is engineered. And, and it, from every it's aspect. no different than white on white crime. You are more likely to commit a crime against the person who looks. Well, it like is it, well, yeah, that is true, but it is different in the sense that there there are there black on black crime is the thing that is perpetuated to the media and through the media. True, true. So there there is no in the U.S. media there is no such thing as Asian on Asian crime. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as native on native crime. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as Hispanic on Hispanic crime or white on white crime. Although it all exists. And how about this? It's just crime. Crime it's happens. Just crime. A crime happens. What? It's, it's, it's just, just crime. crime. We don't have to call it black on black crime. It doesn't all of a sudden because like something happened to me doesn't mean that there's a black person specifically looking for me to commit a crime on and said, oh well, if that was a white person, I wouldn't have done it. It was crime, yo. Crime does. It, it, crime is a self-feeding beast, and if you don't give people opportunities, and you put people in impoverished situations where there are no opportunities, there is no education, the um, laws of recidivism, where like you know after you've been in the system, it's much harder for you to find opportunities to get out of that situation. There's so many things that feed into this whole BS that you guys like to pull out there with black on black crime. If you really have an issue with black on black crime, then why aren't you doing anything other than? Just saying black on black crime. Like, like for real. Like, do because you care about black on black? Well, no, it's not that, but it's just like it's it's just it's, it's disingenuous. Yeah. It's like don't act like you care about what's happening to my people if all you're doing is just throwing numbers at me about what happens to my people. What are you doing to stop it? What solutions are you providing? None. And if the solutions you're providing are bullshit, talking about like, oh, you know, well, you know, if there are more fathers in the home, you know what? There, there, there have been plenty of homes where fathers weren't in it before black on black crime was a catchphrase. You know and what? There have been plenty of homes where fathers were there. Yep, and it doesn't necessarily make it any better. Right. You know, it's it's it, it is what it is. You know, there are gonna be some homes that are going to be broken, but you know what? There hey, there are gonna be some homes where the mother and the father you know, they never got married. It doesn't mean that child does not know how to, you know, find access to or is not exposed to love. And it doesn't mean that because they're black, they're less likely to be exposed to love. I have my oldest nephew, um, you know, he, he comes from a situation where his his parents weren't together, but he had like a, a pool of people surrounding him with love. Now, he didn't always make the best decisions, but he's working through it now because he's getting older. He's He's of age now. We're starting to understand things and put things together and understand what people were telling him. But, you know, you know, I was there for him. My stepfather was there for him. My father was there for him when his father really wasn't stepping up to do the things that he needed to do. And newsflash, his father was white. And it's not a racist thing. What? It's, it's just, it's just, you know, it's just his father was not the best you father dad figure. Be black daddy. No, it was unfortunately, unfortunately for everybody out there who likes to throw that stuff out there. It was a deadly white daddy. The only black men don't take you know. care of And I'm not saying his father wasn't in the picture. He just wasn't. There's a lot of things he can be called to the carpet over. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, I'll probably edit that part out. <laughs> That'll probably wind up on the editing room floor right there. Snip, snip. Yeah, yeah. Snippity snip. But yeah. Okay. So this right here was just a test, but I think it went remarkably well. I think so too. I want to thank you, Ms. Takia Richardson. We didn't even get a chance to talk about like travel or hip-hop or any of that, huh? No, we didn't. Oh, okay. We didn't even get a chance to talk about my current job, which is 
All kinds of interesting. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll, we'll have to do that. I mean, here's the thing. This is a test. I'll be able to pull a whole bunch of stuff, a whole bunch of goodies out of this at some point later in life. So we'll make this like, you know, just the just a case backup reel. And we'll have another interview and we'll do all that. But in the interim, I would like to thank you, oh, thank you. for coming out of your home. You know how to And gracing me with your presence. I appreciate it. Yeah, I, I I so I so sincerely do. Thank you so much. I was like cooking and everything. Yeah. Got this I, man watching the corn and the beans. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. He want to get fed. Want to eat? Don't you? Want to eat? All right. All right. Don't give me some water over there. I'm sure I'll make a fire. Oh no no no. Put that put that kerosene. Put that shit away. You want to get some kerosene? Y'all want y'all want to eat right? Well, no. Put that put spray that gasoline on the fire. All right. Now that's fire. <laughs> I want to eat. You want to eat? Everybody want to eat? Yeah. All right. All right. And on that note, with that tribute to the great genius Eddie Murphy, we're going to wrap this up and say thank you for listening. We appreciate your time, your energy. This has been Da Vinci Parks, aka Leaving It the Third, on Culture Shock on Flash Black Radio. Peace. Peace.